Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What is up? What is up, Dolphins? fans? And welcome into the Thursday, April the 18th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we've got a Dolphins 2019 schedule to talk about. The dates and times have been announced. You can now plan your vacations accordingly. And we'll discuss what this schedule means from a competitive standpoint for the Dolphins. Plus, day two of voluntary workouts have come and gone. We'll hear from Ryan Fitzpatrick, Laramie Tunzel, as well as GM Chris Greer. And we'll finish up with draft preparations, two positions at a time from now until Thursday. We'll do the offensive line today, inside and outside. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya Podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Tuned In, Wherever you get your podcast from, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. Give me a follow on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. Check out LockedOnDolphins.com. We had a huge day yesterday with the schedule release episode, as well as the other pieces from Jason Harina, Kevin Dern, Oliver Candido, and our entire staff over there at LockedOnDolphins.com. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast and the Draft Dudes Podcast, both part of the collaboration for the Locked On Podcast Network NFL Mock Draft. If you guys have not checked that out, go ahead and do so. But let's go ahead and jump into this busy show because we got a lot to talk about today. That's another Miami Dolphins. So the schedule is out as first reported by LockedOnDolphins.com. It's actually 3 o'clock out here on the West Coast, two hours before the actual unveiling of the schedule. But we have an official schedule, thanks to my source again. I cannot name his name, but he is very, very helpful this time of year for me, getting the schedule up before anybody else on the internet. And it starts like this. We're going to break this thing down into quarters and look at how each of these games stacks up from a competitive standpoint. And while I don't actually have the sandwich trap games, which is a big part of what I do, it's a gambler's perspective, looking at how the other teams fare coming into the game and after the game against you, it's a big part of how gamblers assess teams and the spots they are in. Because anybody can tell you who the 16 best teams are on any given Sunday, but it's about who that team is that particular day because you get 16 versions of every single team every single year. And for instance, like the Ravens and Patriots both coming down to Miami for the first two games, September the 8th and September the 15th, it'll be Ravens and Lamar Jackson for week one, the home opener, the season opener, and the Patriots in week two for their return after the Miami Miracle hot weather games for teams that don't play in that type of weather. That could be a bit of an acclimation period for those teams. Could be difficult on them in that regard. Also, the Patriots have that game sandwiched between the Steelers on opening night and the Jets in week three. So maybe it's a trap game. I don't really look at it that way because the Patriots just don't really have trap games and they are going to be definitely fired up coming off that loss last season. Week three, they go to the Dallas Cowboys and week four, they are back home for the Los Angeles Chargers. So three of the first four games are at home. All four of those games against playoff teams, a tough road to hoe. You've got Lamar Jackson and that strong, strong running game. You got Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. We all know what they offer. You got Ezekiel Elliott and that dominant Cowboys defense as well. And the Chargers, one of the most complete teams in the NFL. So if the Dolphins don't get out of the gates clicking under new head coach Brian Flores, 
that could very easily be an 0-4 start. All four of those games Sunday at 1 o'clock. And then the Dolphins hit the bye week after that before coming back home again. Five out of six games to open the season at home with the Washington team that starts with an R. That is on October the 13th at 1 o'clock as well. Then they have two road games after that at the Bills and at the Steelers on October the 20th and October the 28th. A Monday night football game. The Dolphins one primetime game of this particular schedule. Going to Buffalo in October is a nice change compared to the last three years, I think it was. Maybe the last two years. The Dolphins were in Buffalo up in Orchard Park in December. They get a break that way. But playing in Pittsburgh under the primetime lights, that is not going to be an easy task against Ben Roethlisberger and the crew from Pittsburgh. To finish out the second quarter of the season, the first half of the season, the Dolphins return home to play the Jets in the exact same week they played them last season when they picked off Sam Darnold 34 times to get that W November the 11th. November the 3rd, rather, at 1 o'clock Eastern, the Dolphins will host the New York Jets. So in that first half of the schedule, you've got one, two, three, four, five home games. And so we're going to have a heavy road schedule in the second half. And it starts off in week number 10, November the 10th, against the Indianapolis Colts at Lucas Oil Stadium at 1 o'clock. That's right around the same time the Dolphins played the Colts last year. I think it might have been week 12 against the Colts, but similar, uh, similar instance there for the Dolphins at the Colts. Week number 11, they're home for the Buffalo Bills. So none of those back to back or, or I guess two games in three weeks against the same team there will be none of that this year so November the 17th the Dolphins will host the Bills and then go back on the road to face the Cleveland Browns on November the 24th that is the Sunday before Thanksgiving and the Sunday after Thanksgiving they will host the Philadelphia Eagles to round out that quarter so at Colts home for the Bills at the Browns and home for the Eagles and then three out of the final four games are on the road in cold weather cities the Browns game on the 24th also a cold weather game so the Dolphins get five cold weather games check that four cold weather games this year. The schedule makers did not do Miami any favors as they finish up with trips to the Jets, trip to the Giants, back-to-back weeks there at MetLife, return home for the Bengals, and then go on the road week 17 to the Patriots. Again, all of these games, one o'clock Eastern, except for the week eight game on October the 28th against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday night football. But you look at the first quarter and the last quarter of the schedule, The Giants are a terrible team. I think we all can agree with that because of their quarterback situation, and they will be in a position to really chase down the quarterback draft class next year to a Tungavailoa, whatever you want to call it. That could be a huge, huge swing game in the momentum for that first overall pick if the Dolphins are going to be that bad, if you believe that, as well as the Week 16 game at home against the Bengals. Those two could be very interesting for draft position. I just, I'm one of the more... I guess, enthusiastic, optimistic Dolphins fans or Dolphins reporters when it comes to this team this year. I think they're a four, maybe five win team, possibly six if certain things break the right way. But just the way this schedule was laid out, I think the NFL did not do them any favors. We have back-to-back home games only one time on the schedule when you consider the bye week that chops off the week four and week six game with the Chargers and the Washington team. They have back-to-back road games one, two, two times on the year, so that's not so bad. But that stretch of road games in the middle to the end of the schedule is going to be brutal. Again, all of this kind of goes back to does this team actually have a competitive stance this year? Because if they don't, this schedule might be a good thing for them because if they start off slow and they are 0-4 and Ryan Fitzpatrick gets dinged up, 
And let's be honest, he pretty much does every single year. What if he gets dinged up in that Chargers or that Cowboys game, the Dolphins fall to 0-4, and they then have to turn things over to Luke Falk or Jake Rudock or Jarrett Stidham or Brett Rippon, whoever it might be that is the backup quarterback to Fitzpatrick this next season. If Fitzpatrick gets dinged up at all before October... You could be looking at Tua Tonga-Vailoa because this team is going to have a hard time rescuing all those road games, all those cold weather games, trying to battle through adversity and get through a season where maybe the wins aren't going to be there and they're not going to match the effort level because I have little doubt this team will play high effort football all year. They'll compete. They'll probably be close in games. I think they're going to struggle to close games out and win games late like they did with Adam Gaze just because it's a young team. It's a new brand of players all kind of coming together for the first time this year. It's going to be a foundation year, a building year. And this schedule, I'm glad that it's the way it is because I wouldn't want to see this schedule in a year where the Dolphins had aspirations to win a division, go deep in the playoffs, or whatever those might be. I think this one is very tough. The good news is, for the first time in four years, no Thursday night game and no road Thursday night game as the Dolphins have done in 2015, 16, 17, and 18 going on the road to get smacked down on Thursday night. No home games in primetime. All the early games in September and October are at the 1 o'clock kickoff start. They have one, two, three, four. Four games in September and October where the team is much better at home there at Hard Rock Stadium in the weather. So all things told, I think it's a very difficult schedule. I think it's 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 hard to really get too upset, though, because do we expect this team to really compete this year? I don't think they will. So go ahead, make it tough. The early bye week, the tough stretch of games down the back end of the schedule, it's going to be tough. I think maybe four, five, or six wins is where this team is looking at, and I tend to lean more towards that four number more than I do the six number. All right, we're going to come back here on the podcast. I'll have the schedule breakdown up on LockedOnDolphins.com once I have every other team's schedule. I just don't have that yet. So check that out. That'll be live by the time you guys hear this podcast. Next, we're going to talk about day two of voluntary minicamps. We'll do that here next. Locked On Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. kind of had to rush through yesterday's show just because I had so much to talk about that I glossed over Ryan Fitzpatrick's, I guess we'll call it media availability at day one of voluntary workouts down in Davie with the Miami Dolphins, his first day on the practice field with this Dolphins team. And the one thing you can say about Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I think we've always known this, and I actually go back to his appearance on Hard Knocks with the 2017 Tampa Bay Buccaneers when he was backing up Jameis Winston, who everybody thought was going to have a breakout season that year, and Fitzpatrick was just there to be the backup, and later, over the course of the last two seasons, basically proved to be, at least for those two years, the better quarterback. But you go back to that preseason, and you get a taste of what Ryan Fitzpatrick is as a person, and just how he conducts himself in these in these interviews. We saw it, obviously, with the... Connor McGregor get up he had last year, the Deshaun Jackson close, whatever the hell that was, it was hilarious. But you watch him speak to the media for about seven or eight minutes there after practice on Tuesday, and it was so enlightening and so refreshing to see a player talk with genuine, genuine comments about the game, about himself, about the position he's in in his career, and all these things they asked him that were just really, really authentic answers from Ryan Fitzpatrick and You guys know how much I was rooting for Ryan Tannehill to be the guy. I think any Dolphins fan should have been rooting for it. 
or for him rather to be the answer because that's what we're all here for, right? We all want to see this Dolphins team win games and win championships and get back to respectability. That's what made me a fan when I was a kid and I would love to get back there. It's been about 20 years since we've been in that position. But that's neither here nor there. As much as I loved and rooted for Ryan Tannehill, he was the worst interviewer in the history of the game. And of course, I'm using hyperbole here, but he was so boring with the each and every day. That's even why I talk about each and every one of you. Please subscribe to the podcast in the opening of the show. That's a play on Ryan Tannehill's robot mechanics in press conferences. And that is not who Ryan Fitzpatrick is. He's cagey. He's enlightening. Just a fantastic interview. It's going to be a fun season from that standpoint. And I personally cannot wait to get in the locker room and get to the press conferences after a game. When I cover a couple games this year at Hard Rock Stadium, just to talk to this quarterback and kind of pick his ear about some things he thinks about the league, about the game, whatever it might be. I would love to do a feature or an interview, whatever it is. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the man. And I go back to that Hard Knocks episode, that Hard Knocks season, where I said in a tweet that he looks like he's just an anthropologist studying players in an NFL locker room after Jameis Winston gave one of those weird-ass speeches that he gives, and Fitzpatrick kind of graded him on it, said you lost him in the middle, came on strong there at the end. And just the mentality and how relaxed he was in that position I think that can permeate throughout the locker room and can set an example for other guys. And the reason I say all this, I'm not going to give you guys a bunch of fluff on Ryan Fitzpatrick coming in here and lighting up the league. And he might do that. For all I know, he could come in and play two or three weeks and play really good football and get us all excited about beating the Ravens and beating the Patriots, going into Dallas with a chance to go 3-0 behind our 120-rated quarterback leading the NFL across all metrics. He did that last year as a 36-year-old quarterback. Could he do it again? Maybe. Probably not. He does have some exciting weapons, but I just think that what I can really build you guys up on and fluff around this quarterback is that he is a mentality and maybe even a glance into the future for how they will acquire players that are more personality and more dedicated to the process than other guys have been in the past. And that's something Ryan Fitzpatrick talked about in his media availability. They asked him how day one went, how was the energy, of course, the general questions that get asked at this type of thing every single year. And he said, you know, the energy level is great, but that's easy for day one. It's like the first day of school when everybody's all excited and pumped up to get back. And it's Does that energy sustain itself throughout the course of the season once the grind begins, once training camp comes around, or once it's week six and you're one and five and a guy has a bum quad muscle that doesn't maybe... Maybe he can't go 100%. Will he put the effort in then? Because that's when things really get tough. And he just talked about all this stuff with certain levity and certain genuine mentality that it was really appreciated. Somebody asked him about, can he keep playing quarterback into his 40s like Tom Brady? And he said he's not going to put a number on his career, but he does want to keep playing because he absolutely loves the game. And that's 100% the truth, 100% genuine. And he does believe that his best football is ahead of him. And people laugh at him for that. And I laugh at those people for laughing at that because I talked about this with Ryan Tannehill and it didn't come back to work in my favor, but I still think process is a better practice than looking at results in terms of what you do to project things and how this league works. And the process was doing the research that quarterbacks tend They tend to get better with age because they've seen everything. They know coverages. They know blitzes. They know what certain coaches want to do. They know tendencies. They know their own guys better than younger quarterbacks do. And that's why we have so many good quarterbacks that are into their mid and late 30s in the NFL. So can Ryan Fitzpatrick play his best football right now when he's a guy that relies on the mental aptitude? Sure. Why not? 
Is that going to be good enough? I don't think so, but he can play good. That's the entire point I have here. I think he can be a good quarterback for certain weeks. I don't think he's the worst starting quarterback in the NFL, not by a long shot. I'm just excited to see what he does with this football team from a leadership standpoint. And then, of course, there was the birthday cake thing, which was too hilarious, talking about how he has six birthdays over the course of four months, and they get all this cake with friends and family, and he eats tons of birthday cake, and that's why maybe he's a little bit thick around the waist. That was the headline, but that's not what I took away from it. I took away just the genuine, authentic ability he has to communicate with the media and convey his thoughts. Now, the other comment I wanted to talk about here was Laramie Tunzel kind of dissing his former best friend or maybe current best friend in Jawan James, who said, the first thing I want to talk about is how Jawan left and broke my heart. And it just makes me wonder what that human element is like on a football field with guys in the locker room who are good buddies. I can't imagine having one of my best friends next to me every single day for these 60, 70, 80 hour weeks. And then he's just gone. And I never get to hang out with him in that way again until maybe later down the road in our careers And he was bummed out by it. And I think that human element is a big part. It's another one of those million things that goes on behind the scenes that we don't know about. I hope it won't affect Larry Tunzel's game, but you just never know. We heard a couple years ago that Devontae Parker was kind of pouting because his girlfriend broke up with him. So things happen. These guys are human. These guys are young. I think it's super fascinating to find out the dynamics of a locker room. And I think, I hope, I assume Ryan Fitzpatrick makes all of that stuff a little bit smoother in your number one. Okay, we are going to take a hard pivot and get quickly into Chris Greer's comments. Again, I'm not going to be able to get to all this stuff, but our staff editor, Jason Harina of LockedOnDolphins.com, he is the man. He is at Miami D Punks on Twitter. He writes all of these great news hits for us, and I just cannot thank him enough for getting this stuff up. While I am not available doing school or or homework or class or anything that's in my schedule that prohibits me from getting this stuff done, he has been a clutch, clutch, clutch right-hand man for me. So, Jason, I really appreciate it. Again, it's up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Chris Greer updates status of Miami Dolphins for 17-19 for April 17th. Talked about his accountability and how it was a collaboration to make draft picks with the coaching staff and the scouting staff in the past. And I truly do wonder how authentic he is in these pressers because... I don't know if you want to give credit to Adam Gates for some of the draft picks they made or take blame for some of the draft picks he made. It just kind of seemed like it was surface level and he didn't really have a chance to get the truth out there. The next thing I talked about was selecting a quarterback. He does think this is a good class of quarterbacks. He likes all of them. This class has players that haven't started as many games as you'd like to see. It's a bit more of a projection. Again, you like all the quarterbacks? I don't believe that. This is kind of that New England Patriots model with Chris Greer and Brian Flores we're going to see going forward. They're not going to tell you a whole lot about what they actually think, what they actually believe. And that's why this offseason compared to last offseason, Last offseason was easy. You just knew they had certain needs like a defensive tackle or running back, tight end at safety, and you pick the strongest points of the draft for those needs and you plug them in. And that's how I wound up getting Minka Fitzpatrick, Mike Kosicki, and Kalen Balaj all correct on the draft. This year, it's not that way at all. Not even freaking close. These guys are so tight-lipped. Everything is sealed off. I can't get a beat on them, and I think this is why they just say a whole bunch of words without actually saying anything, but there were some good notes in there about the players he wants at the 13th pick. Tough, competitive, passionate for football, smart, going to do things the right way. We all know about that. Talking about lack of maturity, he even referenced a player that sometimes can have a low motor on the offensive line, and Jason and I were trying to figure out who that player was in this year's draft. I still don't know, but he talked about it, and I think that every once in a while, he'll slip his tongue a little bit 
and give you some information, but it's so few and far between. He talked a little bit about trading up and trading down. It's wide open, whatever helps us as an organization. Again, more lip service, more surface level comments. There is a lot more in there to unpack up on LockedOnDolphins.com. As a matter of fact, Jason published two pieces up there on LOD.com. Check that out, as well as the schedule, as well as my snap counts piece, as well as Kevin Dern's defensive draft preview. And speaking of the draft, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here on the Lockdown Podcast Network and talk about some offensive linemen and put a bow on the offensive line draft class up until next Thursday's draft. We'll do that next. Locked On Dolphins podcast at Linkfield NFL at Locked On Fins. It feels so good to have actual content to discuss on the podcast. I'm not saying there's not content every day. I can always generate something to talk about with this football team. That's kind of what happens when you follow a team every single day of your life for multiple years on end. But it's just easier to generate content when the Dolphins give me that content to generate. So I'm very thankful for that. And this week and the next week and the following week talking about these draft prospects that'll finally be Miami Dolphins. If you guys aren't familiar with what we did last year or you're new to the show, new to Lockdown Dolphins in general, we had the most comprehensive breakdown of every single player, both on the podcast and on the website with analytics, PFF grades. I even talked to some coaches, some equipment managers for player or for colleges of the of the players we drafted. Just comprehensive coverage, getting to know these guys, finding quotes from their coaches and teammates. Everything you want to know about the players the Dolphins are going to draft this time next week, we're going to have it for you on LockedOnDolphins.com and the Locked On Dolphins podcast, recapping the draft each of the three nights, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And we'll wrap that thing with a Sunday show, giving you a preview of this roster because... In about 10 days, next Sunday, we're going to know what this team looks like pretty much from top to bottom, at least going into training camp. And to me, that's exciting because this year's draft process has dragged, man. It's been such a drag getting to this point, but I'm so stoked for next week. The semester comes to an end. My finals are next week also, so everything kind of comes to a head all at once. And then it's time for a little bit of relaxation, but we won't relax on the podcast. Still be with you guys Monday through Friday, every single day of the week. Let's go ahead and talk about the offensive line. My plan is to do offensive line today, receivers and running backs tomorrow, and we'll finish up the rest of the positions next week before a Thursday complete round one mock draft and seven round Dolphins mock draft on that Thursday preview episode of the NFL draft, the 2019 NFL draft. Let's go ahead and get back to the offensive line here. And the more I think about this offensive line, and I know several of you will tell me that's what I've been saying all along this offseason, the Dolphins need to get on the offensive line and really, really hammer it down this year. I'm starting to really kind of agree with that. Even though I don't want to pigeonhole the team into that mode of thinking, I still think the safety class in that end of round one, early part of round two is very rich, but I've officially put offensive line over defensive line in terms of my priorities with drafting at certain positions of need. Again, best player available always, but just looking at where this team has huge needs and where the draft value could be, I think it's offensive line, I think it's defensive back, and I think the defensive line comes in third behind that because of how the Dolphins deploy, or we assume they will deploy their defense. But on the offensive line for me, I think Jonah Williams is the best one in this class outside of maybe Garrett Bradbury. But if Jonah Williams is there at pick 13, 
I would be hard-pressed to pass on him because I think he's going to be an elite right tackle prospect. And Clay Smith, the one who did the podcast last year on Minka Fitzpatrick, the former Alabama equipment manager, told me that Jonah Williams' best year at college, and you can confirm this or deny this if you want to, was at right tackle his freshman year, a true freshman year that year for Jonah Williams. He was fantastic his first year, and that would be where he plays on this offensive line, I would assume. And if you happen to get to a Tonga Vailoa, he protects his blind side in 2020. So that's a good idea. Jawan Taylor, I think, is an elite right tackle prospect in his own right. He'd be a great option. We've talked about Dalton Reisner, probably my favorite of the entire group. He can play center, guard, or right tackle as well. Not going to play left tackle in Miami. But those are the three guys I'm really keeping an eye on in the first round on the interior. I don't love Cody Ford as much as some people do. I think Garrett Bradbury would be a great pick there as well for scheme versatility and being the anchor of the interior offensive line. Those are the two guys on the inside. You go back to round two, Chris Lindstrom is a great option there. Drew Samia of Oklahoma, Michael Dieter of Wisconsin, some other guys to look at. I think you have a chance to find one or two starters on the first two or first three rounds rather of this draft, and you can find them basically at any position you like, center, a guard tackle and speaking of center get back to Elton Jenkins get back to Lamont Gilliard and get back to Eric McCoy of Texas A&M there are so many good options in this class and I think the Dolphins probably come away with I'm pretty sure we'll get one on the first two days I would be surprised if they didn't get two on those first two days maybe two offensive linemen maybe a safety maybe a defensive end and call it a first couple of days of the draft and go into day three with just basically taking the best player you find on the board at each of those spots. So my prediction for offensive line will be that they take a right tackle at some point in the first two picks and maybe an interior guy later on in the draft because yesterday's offensive line group on day one of voluntary workouts was not very pretty. Okay, that's a good spot to end things here, and I appreciate you guys for taking that fire hose of Dolphins information. I know this was a lot, and I went through it fast in a limited amount of time with so much information, but that's way better than the alternative. So I appreciate all you guys for listening, giving those ratings, giving those reviews, subscribing to the podcast. I'll probably have a mailbag on tomorrow's show. I'm not sure about the draft next week. We'll see, but I definitely will have a mailbag on tomorrow's show, so get those questions in. But as for now, if you guys have a smart speaker, pull up the Locked On Dolphins podcast by saying play Locked On Dolphins podcast. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Winkle NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for a Friday edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up. <laughs>